Good evening, and welcome to Kel's Wonderful Life. Last Thursday evening, I found myself driving through the Clem 7 Tunnel with one of my colleagues from the university. Traffic was light as we made our way down the South Tunnel, near the front of a small convoy of cars. All of a sudden, the car ahead of us slowed down and stopped, forcing us to quickly come to a halt. It was then that we noticed the small yellow compact car ahead of us rolled over on its roof. Debris and car parts were strewn everywhere, a wheel, glass, and broken CD. It took a moment to notice the man lying in the middle of the road, shaking and incoherent. We got out and ran over to the man. He was covered in injuries and we couldn't understand what he was saying. A person from another car and I went to the yellow compact. There was still someone trapped inside. A quick scan of the wreck didn't show any leaking fuel or risk of fire, so my compatriot crawled inside to check on the passenger. They didn't respond when we called. No breathing, no pulse. With some effort, we released them from the seatbelt and started chest compressions. With nothing to do while my compatriot worked, I walked back to my colleague attending the wounded man. It turned out that he didn't speak English at all. I didn't know what to tell him, even if I could have made him understand. At around this point, the tunnel PA system turned on, telling us to stay with our cars, but it was impossible to make out over the echo and noise of the tunnel. Just as well, then, the tunnel has built-in transmitters that overpower broadcast transmissions to send messages to you from your car radio. In the distance, I noticed a Brisbane Metro bus pull up behind the halted rank of cars. It pulled to the side awkwardly, trying to get around the traffic jam, and only managed to get itself stuck. I was just making my way up to tell them to move it back out when I saw smoke starting to come out of its tailpipe. I was surprised then to note that the bus was on fire. Very quickly, the tunnel started to fill with smoke, and I couldn't see more than about 10 meters in front of me. At some point, I managed to locate a fire cabinet on the wall of the tunnel, but I had no chance of finding my way to the bus to do anything about it. Really, it was just as well. At that point, the automatic sprinklers turned on, and the deluge was immediate. Water rained from the roof of the tunnel, sending a mist of spray down to the people gathered around the accident. An alarm sounded somewhere, and more incoherent messages over the PA system. In the distance, we could hear sirens, somewhere beyond where the bus was blocking the road. They couldn't get through, and we couldn't get out. I returned to the car wreck. My colleague was trying to comfort the injured man, while my compatriot was continuing chest compressions, but with a little effect. The passenger was lifeless. Finally, a man in emergency gear appeared via service tunnel, and quickly tried to work out what was happening. He took charge of the situation, and told us to stay by our cars and wait for emergency services to arrive. When it was clear the smoke wasn't going away any time soon, we were ordered to evacuate to a cross-tunnel passage and wait. My friend stayed behind with the injured man, and as we waited in the passage, a fire truck zoomed by through the north tunnel. An ambulance pulled up, and a dozen paramedics with stretchers and emergency gear rushed through the passage. Five minutes later, they had the injured man strapped and boarded and on his way to hospital. But we never saw what became of the passenger. At some point, somebody took our names and details, and we were told a bus would come and evacuate us. Ten minutes later, the referee called the exercise to a close, and we got back in our cars and drove to the Clem 7 control building for a debriefing. The official score was that the emergency responses had been good, and smoke levels never became dangerously high. We all survived, although the mannequin in the car didn't make it. We talked about how events unfolded and what could be done to improve emergency systems and processes in the future. There were a number of suggestions, and I was sure to point out the PA system was hard to understand. We filled out some forms, had tea and biscuits, and went on our way. It was a fascinating inside look at how emergency services and civil infrastructure operate. Major infrastructure organizations like the Clem 7 run these exercises periodically to ensure that their staff and procedures are working up to standard. 
It's an important way of flexing the muscles of emergency responders so that when a real incident happens, everyone knows exactly what to do. Most eye-opening of all, I found that it's not just the police, fire and ambulance crews who keep us safe, but a whole host of operators, service personnel, support engineers and logistics specialists who swing into action when disaster strikes. My colleague in the car, in fact, was a human factors specialist who studies how people behave in high-stress events and how to engineer better ways to manage crisis situations. As much as I'd like to say she invited me to come along and take part because of any particular insights I might bring, really, they just needed more bodies to fill the cars. Just as well, it was an exciting evening and worth getting wet for. I'll certainly put my hand up to be a victim again. This has been Kel's Wonderful Life, where it's only a drill. Guaranteed. Guaranteed.